This is Metal Recall, episode 14. My name's Niall Hope, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Koskela. How's it going, bud? It's going good, despite the trying times, but yeah, can't complain. Yeah, nice one. I'm delighted to say that today we're joined by a guest a long time in the in the making, this one, my brother, Dom Hope. Welcome to the podcast, dude. How's it going? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. No worries. No worries. Been looking forward to this one. Um, before we get into what we are listening to and why, Dom, I wonder whether you could just let us know kind of what got you into metal in the first place. Yeah, sure. Um, I was, you know, anticipating this question, and I think, um, I think the album I would think about would probably be Corn, um, um, Follow the Leader. Yeah was probably the first album I, I, I got, I think probably, um, I think I was probably around 10 years old. Um, wow, 10. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think funnily enough, I think I got that album around the time their Issues album came out, which was mm-hmm. 99. I remember because um, I bought Follow the Leader like the week before we went to Florida, possibly the first time we went yeah. to the States. Um, and that was just like, you know, when you discover some music, especially on a holiday, it's like the soundtrack to it. Uh-huh. You know, w- yeah. when, I got, when I got there, I discovered, I think, I'm pretty sure issues had just come out. So there's like, there's no better feeling than discovering a band and discovering a whole back catalogue. Um, and I, I think before Corn, I think probably um, kind of discovered heavy music and that probably from um, soundtracks, because I think probably before that, you know, the first kind of bits of music you get bought by your parents or whatever, maybe for like little Christmas stocking fillers. I, I remember. Um, you know, we were big into the the end of days movie soundtrack. Yeah, that's um, a classic. The Armageddon soundtrack, uh, Godzilla soundtrack. There's probably others, but um, I think what was that one? Dracula soundtrack. Um, and these had metal tra- These had metal tracks on them. Yeah, the end of days had like bands like I'm pretty sure Corn was on there. Mm. Um, Limp Bizkit. Limp Bizkit. Yeah, same as that Dracula soundtrack. I mean, some version of a Dracula film. Um, had like System of a Down, Pantera. Um, and funnily enough, probably just before Corn, but like it's not really metal. Aerosmith was probably the first bits of music um, to do with rock or going into metal that I bought myself. Because um, like the Armageddon soundtrack, you know, had. Um, Sweet emotion. Um, I started buying Aerosmith, but Corn was definitely the first um, heavy heavy band. And obviously, at that time, you know they were they were huge, huge. top yeah. of their game. Yeah, that's a hell of a leap to go from Aerosmith to Corn. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. Yeah. Well, I can't I can't remember how I really got onto Corn. Like there was. Um, Growing up, there was like one record store in our town and just 
every every week you'd go down there you know with pocket money or I'd go down with my dad um and I I don't know if things have well things have definitely changed for like record um shops but like um it was it was just to the point where at that age and like you know so new to kind of well so new to music because I didn't necessarily like any styles before metal it's kind of always been metal that I was obsessed with um you just bought whatever looked you know whatever kind of had the roadrunner label yep or you know you can tell a metal cover we just bought stuff without even hearing it so I probably bought that album without hearing a single bit of music and um I mean for that age as well I, I probably was around 10 can't have been much older um because it was definitely before, just before I started secondary school, um, and Corner, you know, quite clearly, especially that album in, in the booklet, like being that age and opening up the booklet, the like little centerfold that you know usually there's a picture of the band. Seeing Corn, the members for the first time, was like scary. You know, what the <laughs> hell is this? Um, especially when you're ten. Yeah. And obviously, I think from Corn, then I kind of discovered Slipknot. Same kind of like shock value kind of thing about Slipknot. And then, um, yeah, but um, Corn was probably the, the first band. Um, I think I've, um, I've told Aaron a number of times about how when we were growing up, Dom, we used to we used to sort of divide off the bands within certain genres and you would collect. Like, so if you were getting all the corn CDs, I would get the Limp Bizkit CDs. And I think we also, if I remember correctly, there was a show on VH1 on Friday nights that we used to tape, the Friday Rock Show. You remember that one? Yeah. And I think that's that's where I can remember us finding a lot of bands. And it might have been that we saw the the, the video for Follow the Leader which is quite a good and quite disturbing video, especially when you're the age that we were at the time. And maybe that was kind of where we first, or you first heard of them potentially. Yeah, it could have been. Um, I mean, yeah, thinking about that time, like about 20 years ago, there was obviously, you know, the height of Kerrang, MTV, like you were saying, um, and I think, yeah, Kerrang! or it was something like that. It was probably like around midnight they played the heavier, heavier songs. And obviously bands like Taproot, we definitely mm-hmm. got into, which is like an obvious one off the back of Corn. Um, that was definitely from there, you know, Lim- Lincoln Park, like the, you know, the One Step Closer video was just nonstop all the time. So probably a lot of music tv yeah and what would you say is if you had to if someone asked you what your favorite metal band of all time was what would what do you think you would say um you weren't prepared for that question (laughs) no i don't know to be honest like i've i've Probably very, well, definitely very different to you, Niall. Um, 
I I never really felt like I had a favorite band. Like mm-hmm. metal was always the my favorite genre, but like I never had a favorite metal band. There's always just so many great metal bands. You know, my favorite band or something might not be um might not be metal. I don't know. I mean um for I mean, I don't know, for like, for metal, you know, Pantera is probably up there, Killswitch Engage. Um, yeah, I can't really, I wouldn't say I have a, a, a top metal band, but. That's fair. I mean, me and you, we always used to, I think we've always been like kind of split on, on what we liked within metal, whereas I was kind of more into like old school thrash and that kind of stuff you were normally kind of keeping your ear to the ground of what's up and coming and i would always like there'll be there's been a number of times when we've been doing this podcast that i've probably said to aaron that you turned me onto a band so you've always been the one who's a little bit more you know knowing what's what's coming and what's what's interesting right now so i I can understand the fact that you probably don't have the one band that jumps out as your favorite yeah i've I've got better taste than you <laughs> there we go. No, I, was, I think I was, I was waiting for that. Well, the obvious, yeah, like growing up, especially, I think. Um, um, I mean, yeah, you're you were obviously really big into Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, like Pantera, kind of the obvious bands that are like. Um, a lot of the time, I think if someone kind of is really into Metallica, they're that person's favorite band. Whereas like, mm-hmm. I kind yeah. of, I really, you know, I appreciate them clearly, like as a, as a metal fan, you can't hide from like, there wouldn't be so much metal without Metallica, but they were never someone that I really um, listened to. And yeah. I, I couldn't really say that I have a favorite band. Fair enough. But you did, um, you did take the the listening to music to the next level, and and uh, sort of followed a, a career into into music as well as a drummer. And, and you're um, currently in when our time comes. Um, I mean, yeah, when I moved, I moved to London to um, study music um, about ten years ago, and and for a good few years. Um, performed when our time comes and we um played lots of gigs we put out um our self-titled album a few years ago with life force records um kind of yeah and we haven't really been so um active over the last few years but um yeah we're kind of slowly working on a second album and um, still going nice How would you describe the uh, the sound of when our time comes? Well, I mean, maybe still this way, but especially at the time, and I, I think um, we were we were big into there was a big kind of um, UK um, progressive metal kind of gent scene that kind of originated from the UK. There were loads of great bands. Um, and obviously kind of one of the biggest influences from America, Periphery. Mm-hmm. Um, and like our main songwriters, our two guitarists, um, 
you know, they're big into periphery. So, but like myself and Jack, one of the guitarists were also like huge metalcore fans. You know, we, we loved Parkway Drive, Unearth, um, Killswitch Engage. So more so the first EP, the first music we um, put out was kind of a cross between metalcore and progressive groove metal but we had um all clean vocals no screaming very kind of poppy uh, melodic singing our singer joe quite influenced by um bands like exit 10 funeral for a friend um the spencer from periphery um so it's very kind of like instrumentally very heavy and quite progressive but catchy quite um poppy uh, music cool right well let's get on to that let's let's get on to what we're here to discuss today dom as it's your first time on the show we've given you the dubious honor of suggesting the album and you chose untitled by 5.0 2002 release what yeah. made you what made you choose this album um, well, I chose it more off, off the basis that, you know, the um, brief that you gave me that to kind of not talk about such, um, you know, highly regarded, really obvious kind of big metal albums. And mm-hmm. I've got to say, I, I think considering this album's almost 20 years old, for, for elements of new metal, it's the most like, you know, I listened to it yesterday, obviously, you know, um, because of this, it's the most like, it doesn't just stand up today. It could come out now and it would just be, you know, so, so good. And obviously I think out of all the metal records that I have, I mean, it's definitely, I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's definitely up there for, the most underrated, most unheard album out of a lot of them. Um, I mean, um, you know, they were on Roadrunner Records, which had like, you know, the biggest metal bands. It, I mean, it obviously didn't, you know, they're quite underrated and quite unheard of, partly because they only put out one album. Um, but um, it probably, you know, could be quite, to do with the fact that around that time, you know, the kind of height of new metal, Slipknot, Corn and people, there's, you know, it was quite a lot about gimmicks and, Mm -hmm. you know, some other stuff that today, um, like I say, if you listen to it now, it feels kind of like nostalgic or a bit out, a bit dated. Um, You listen to this album now and although it does have you know, a few new metal elements to it. It's, it's like the best of that world. Um, and I mean, you know, they didn't have a look or anything. And I, you know, I would, you know, I wouldn't say that the name of the band is that great or, you know, might not have helped them in a way, but I remember at the time I didn't actually go to the gig, but, I either intended to, or I think I might've had a ticket and just didn't go, but 
They what? were on they were on one of the first um They came yeah, to Newcastle? Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've probably done that though. You know, when a, a gig's announced and you're like, I'm going to that. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. you just actually like just never go for one reason. Yeah. Um they were on one of the first it might have been two thousand and three. Um one of the there was like a road rage tour it was called and there yeah. was i think it was 5.0 um either like chimera kill switch 36 crazy fists i think it was maybe yeah. the i was reading about that yeah 36 um, crazy fists i think 5.0 were probably the opener because they were like the newest band at the time um i think like there's so much to their sound um and a lot of it that's really relevant now because they've they have that kind of you know slightly new metal that the um there's elements obviously with the vocals of um zach della rocca from rage against the machine mixed with a you know more of his singing parts on aren't your really cheesy metalcore catchy sing-along choruses there you know there's a there's a hint of mike Patton from faith no more um but then there's some really heavy parts in it i think the guitarist um who also sings the kind of more um screaming parts or, you know yeah. a lot heavier and and then there's some quite um you know quite futuristic fear factory sounding dark keys throughout the album it's such of a crossover an album that i can only assume you know probably went under the radar a little bit at the time because you had bands like um, Chimera and Shadows Fall and other, um, God forbid, other bands on those kind of lineups that were like no-nonsense kind of tough guy met. Yeah. And obviously 5.0, um, the album, it's, it's more of like a, a thinking man's metal. You know, I, I wouldn't exactly say, oh, it's, a little bit like Tool, but in that same way that Tool are kind of um, a bit cleverer. Like this album, I think especially, like I said, 20 years ago, I listen to it now, some of the melodies on it are so good. It's it's always been that one album, like probably the most underrated album that um, like I still listen to today. Yeah. Aaron, when uh, Dom, Dom suggested that we do this, this band had you heard of them before had you heard this album no and that's uh i'll i'll, I'll echo what he said at the beginning that uh he he heard the brief and he delivered because i would have never i absolutely never had heard of this band and i think you you shut off like a list of maybe two or three options and as soon as i listened to this band it hit me like a tidal wave yeah obvious com immediate and obvious comparison to Zach De La Roca's cadence on the uh, the rapping side, but then the clean vocals were very Mike Patton, Faith No More. But then mm -hmm. there was something else about it that just elevated the band. And at the end of the day, who doesn't like these monolithic bands, Rage Against the Machine, combined with Faith No More, whether they did that consciously or subconsciously? Um, it's that's exactly what it sounds like and it and it works and i think it's brilliant and it was it wasn't uh hard for me to say that's that's the album we got to review um hands down and it's 
again, echoing uh, Dom, it's, I, I mean, I'll, we'll touch on this later, but I, I dare say it may have been ahead of its time because uh, one last thing, as far as their lyrical content and the thinking man's lyrics that you mentioned, um, I mean, look at a band like Gojira, you know, they're talking about, you know, the environment. Uh, one of their top songs is quoting Gandhi, you know, the, you change the world, you change yourself, you change the world. And there's a lot of content in their lyrics about, you know, self-evaluation and positivity. And uh, I mean, we'll get into it later, but I think they were, there's a lot of factors why they went under the radar, but um, it's, it's definitely a masterpiece of an album. Mm-hmm. I think you both made some really interesting points about why this may have gone under the radar. And I was, I, I can remember when this came out, I, I must confess that I've never really paid this album too much attention. I remember at the time when we got it, when you got it, Dom, and I remember the video because they released the one single double X minus, which is the first track of the album. And probably I think what happened when it came out was that, you know, new metal had had its day in the sun, you know, early two thousands when Limp Bizkit was at, at its at yeah. their height and Corn was at their height. You had a load of bands that kind of came around that sounded quite similar in, in, in part to 5.0. And when they came out, they probably, I think people were just ready for something different you had a lot of those bands like dom like you mentioned chimera shadows fall kill switch engage the what was known as the new wave of american heavy metal i think people were were ready for that kind of change and i think 5.0 came out and they probably were just unfairly lumped in with a bunch of new metal bands that everyone was you know that's a much maligned part of metal history new metal when people look back on it now it's like it's a sound that people aren't too, you know, keen to revisit. And I think probably that didn't help them. And and also, Dom, I think you kind of mentioned, we'll talk about this in a bit, but the name, the album, there's a lot of things that didn't really, weren't really stand out about the whole package for this band. And it may be, I think you made a great point about a lot of bands of a similar genre at that time, the Slipknots, the Mudvanes, the Mushroom Heads, they all had gimmicks. And these guys, yes. these guys were not very standout at all. And unfortunately, I, I echo what you said, Aaron. I, you know, I dare say that it, this album was a bit ahead of its time because it's far much more than new metal. But at the time, it probably just got unfairly categorized as that and just completely went under the radar. Yeah, I'll expound, I'll expound, expound on that just a little bit more. Like, if Limp Bizkit was like the frat boy new metal, Corn was the Corn were the leaders. Corn practically invented the shit. Um, Mushroom had masks. Mushroom head had masks. Slipknot had masks. These guys come out. They don't have a gimmick in their name. They don't have a gimmick in their look. They don't have any. And this is what's echoed in a lot of the reviews: is they had, they they call it lack of focus. But just to tie it back to current day. Um, I think, and this goes back to our industry, uh, Niall, is people now are craving authenticity. Back then you had gimmicks. You had a look, a gimmick, a name, something clever. Uh, These guys were just themselves. They were just some dudes from Illinois, but it was the real deal and it was authentic. 
and it was, it was, yeah, it was authentic. Not only just they, they were what they were and you take it or leave it. And back then, like you said, they were trailing on the back end of the genre. So they just kind of got left in the dust. I think the, the thing the the main thing about it, I think is like, there are new metal elements to the album, but they're also just like heavy metal elements to the album. Yeah. yeah. There's loads of other, other elements. I mean, whether it would be classified as a new metal album or not, I don't know, but I agree. When we talk about bands like it's it's difficult because Faith No More is basically the only band I can think of, but at the same time, they don't sound like anybody I can think of. Um, but you know, Faith No More in the nineties, the late nineties, they're you know by the same accord, like the not incredibly heavy, but distorted and some kind of weird vocals. Arguably it's the same thing that Faith No More or New Metal, you know, I just think 5.0's problem was maybe, you know, they were marketed wrong, putting them on lineups with bands like Chimera and stuff because- Yes. I mean, I don't want to be unfair, you know, I love that music as well. When you're in, you know, in the mood for just like straight up heavy as fuck, you know, metal, but 5.0, you know, off face value, maybe people, eh, it's not that heavy, but clearly that's what you're saying, Aaron, that it's way before it's time. Um, But I mean, you know, the gimmicks and everything was definitely something to do with new metal and clearly around that time. Um, but, you know, there's millions of other bands that got recognition and, and way bigger without them. Um, so I don't think them not having a, a gimmick is necessarily something that made them go into the radar. I mean, having one album definitely is going to make you go into the radar because it's way yeah. easier to go unnoticed. Um yeah, like I mentioned before, and Niall touched on, like, the band name, not very great or rememberable. And, I mean, the, yeah, the, the artwork's not very good, but um, that's why it's such a great album, and we're discussing it now, because, like, yeah, you know, you listen to the album, I think it's great. Um, one other point, I think, though, like, touching on Niall's point, um it's it's hard to really like like i said um you know i can't really think of any bands that they really sound like but for this you know discussion you kind of have to like compare or talk about other bands but we're saying all these new metal bands but you know they don't sound anything like really corn or anybody or slipknot and no I know what Niall was saying, but I think 2002 was almost the height of new metal, like not really the end of it. Um, because I mean, 2002, there's probably like, you know, Korn's, um, what's that album called? The one with Here to Stay On? Untouchables. Probably around that time. Taproots, um, Welcome album, Slipknot, Iowa, 
system of a down toxicity like that is probably right at the the like that's the biggest point in history for new metal but like we say it's not really a new metal album no um so it's not necessarily the problem with it I mean, that's a great segue into um, 2002 because I have in front of me now um, what we normally do is just kind of take a little journey back to the year that this came out. And the reason the reason why I say um, that maybe this was like new metal was on the decline is when you see some of the albums that were were released this year. And you know the um, there's a lot of debut albums and a lot of bands that were starting to take a hold of the genre. Newly formed bands in 2002, you had uh, the Black Dahlia Murder. Dom, I think you're quite familiar with those guys. Am I right? Woo wee! That makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Love those guys. Yeah. Um, Devil Driver, Devil Driver uh, formed, um, and Velvet Revolver um, formed as well. Uh, reformed bands uh, down got back together and they released a down two a bustle in your hedgerow. Aaron, we've actually been back to 2002 before when we did um, Black Label Society 1919 Eternal. Got it. Um, other events this year, uh, unfortunately, uh, Lane Staley, um, singer of Alice in Chains, was found dead from an overdose out of uh, heroin. Um, Megadeth disbanded um, for a short period of time after Dave Mustaine severely injured his arm. And um, Drowning Pool singer Dave Williams also died um, from cardiomyopathy, um, which, you know, Tom, I remember back in the day, we, um, we were also fans of Drowning Pool. And when you, when you mentioned that 5.0 don't necessarily can't really see many bands that they sound like there are elements i think in the uh, instrumentation that remind me of bands like drown and pool something in like the, the the palm muting and the sort of heavy on the octave playing um, i don't know whether you would potentially agree with that or not i don't know possibly i mean i'm just trying you know off the top of my head trying to remember some drown and pool songs like I mean, Drown and Pool, like, you know, they fall right in the category of, like, right in the middle of new metal. You know, there's no kind of debate about it. Like, I listen to them now, and you'd kind of feel like, yeah, it's a bit dated. You know, the, I mean, potentially, bit of the instrumentation, but... Um, yeah, I think like I said before, it it just it more feels like, you know, there are elements on this album that are really heavy, like some of the screaming, some of the heavier guitar work. You know, if you're a metal head or just a metal fan, you will love this album. Same way as if you more like the softer kind of new metal. So um, you know, it wasn't just because I mean, it, it came out around the height of new metal. So having some elements of it might, the heavier parts of the album and the more experimental parts of it might have gone a bit more unknown because, you know, people hear some of the metal, new metal characteristics like 
especially the first track, Double X Minus, you know, the kind of um, jumping uh, intro, that riff, the little vocal line he does. Yeah, there's kind of new metal-y bits. Um, and I think like you mentioned before, there was some, you know, there was some terrible new metal bands, but there was also some amazing ones. So like when you hear new metal now, you know, it's kind of like a bit of an insult, but whether this falls into that or not, you listen to that now. And it's like, I still think it's amazing. Whereas, you know, I think Drowning Pool or there is some corn stuff and definitely Limp Bizkit that you're like. It takes you back to a time, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, one, one more thing I was going to say. Um, I mean, you're right. 2002 was, well, whether it was that year or 2001 or close to it, you know, some huge albums came around then. So without having like a striking look or a gimmick of the band or a very catchy name or the artwork, um, you could, like we've said, you can easily see why it might have gone unheard of and, and become like, quite a bit of a cult um really underrated album yeah well let's go down some of the albums that were released in 2002 you had um bitterness the star released by 36 crazy fists that was there quite a lot of debut albums this year that was one all that remains uh, released behind silence and solitude which was their debut too one of your favorites aaron amon amarth versus the world was released Atreyu released Suicide Notes and Butterfly Kisses. That was a debut as well, as was Between the Buried and Me's self-titled uh, debut album. Uh, as I mentioned before, 1919 Eternal by Black Label Society, which we reviewed before, Aaron. A um, couple of the bands that uh, we remembered on from back in the day, Breaking Benjamin released Saturate, which was their debut. Um, mm. And Chevelle uh, released Wonder What's Next. Um, down to Bustle in Your Hedgerow, I mentioned. Hatebreed released Perseverance. In Flames released Reroute to Remain. Um, and Killswitch Engage released Alive or Just Breathing. So quite a good year for some, for some good albums here. You mentioned this before, Dom. Korn released Untouchables. Mastodon released their first album, Remission. Ooh. Opeth released Deliverance. Um, old classic Propane released Shreds of Dignity. <laughs> Shadows Fall released The Art of Balance. Uh, Soil Work released Natural Born Chaos. Soulfly. I think we're going to be here a while. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just a couple Just more. Every single album. <laughs> well, I, I normally go through the, no, we normally go through this list and just pick out ones that stand out, but there's quite a few this year that. I mean, I can certainly remember. Soulfly released uh, three, the third album. Stone Sour released their debut, and System of a Down released Steal This Album. So, quite a uh, quite yeah. an interesting year. And and like I said, a lot of debut albums. I feel like this was kind of a time where you know the metal landscape was shifting away from new metal into metalcore and a yeah. bit more of that new wave of American heavy metal. Um. Yeah, I, I think kind of there are, there are a number of um, 
elements, maybe, you know, but I, I think the the main reason it's probably so overlooked or maybe underrated is, you know, purely the fact that they only released one album. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, there was a lot of great albums out that year, but like you mentioned, but unless they're within that same genre, then obviously it's not really going to do anything to that record. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, how many bands have, have only put out one album and we really remember, you know, so I think that's probably part of it. There's a number of things that we've already discussed that, you know, the sound of the band or the era that could be um, a factor, but yeah, I think it's probably because they, you know, I think they formed in 99 or something and then signed with Roadrunner in 2001 put out the album in 2002 so the the band's career is probably about five years like so short it's very very short and I mean on on one hand you can argue like you know I mean it doesn't make them like or legends or anything but I mean I would kill for another album by them but just having one album does make it kind of like like a cult it's a bit more special yeah but I mean, um, obviously prior to this, I'm sure you've done as well, you know, you trying to find stuff online about them is like, is difficult, impossible. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's nothing online. If, I mean, even trying to find like live footage or anything, but um, the, the majority of the stuff I could see was exactly the same as me, kind of like, this is, you know, you know, there's obviously no um next to nobody or i would assume nobody picking up the album now a lot of the people were just like me that bought it at the time and they're still listening to it you know 20 years later so um yeah i mean like we said before i loved a lot of what was big at the time in metal um and also like we said, one factor could be that it's quite a crossover album. There's a lot of influences, a lot of different styles. So it's then harder to pigeonhole, harder to put them on a bill where, you know, they they fit completely. Yeah. Um, another one you mentioned with 36 Crazy Fists, uh, you know, their first album coming out at the same time, like, I'm pretty sure anyway, when I mentioned that Road Rage tour, they were both on it. Um, They were another band that I reckon if they only put out that one album, you know, it would be the same as this. But they obviously went on to have a long career and are still going now. Their first album, um, like, had that new metal kind of element, had, uh, you know, wasn't extremely heavy. So we're on on a lineup with Chimera and Killswitch, we would have had the same problem. I mean, Thirty Six Crazy Fists, I think, with each album got heavier and heavier. But like I say, if they just put out that one album, the same as Five Point it's I think anyway that the main reason why it's probably so, un, I mean, underrated, but because it, you know not many people have really heard it.
So speaking of things that we've been able to find or not find on the internet, Aaron, you mentioned that you'd managed to unearth a few reviews that we wanted to touch on. Yeah, uh, I literally only found maybe two, two and a half reviews and just re resorted to uh, individual reviews on Amazon or w whatever I could scour on the internet. Um, and they were quite, quite, quite divisive. Uh, the two reviews, the two solid reviews that I did find, um, <laughs> of the drama, the, uh, there's one good one and there's one bad one. And, uh, That's good. we'll, 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 we'll start with the bad news and then end up with the good news. So the, the, the bad review, and it's pretty scathing. Uh, and I don't think this person was a metalhead, <clears throat> but, uh, it's even worse because it's it's local. It comes from Vedette Online. Uh, this website is it's called Vedette Online, whatever that means. But it's it's from the Student Voice of Illinois State University, and they're from they're from Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, the reviewer says 5.0 has an outstanding voice in vocalist Daniel Struble, but they waste it. Struble cons consistently hits long, loud, powerful notes throughout the untitled. Uh, album and sounds disturbingly like former disturbingly like former Rage Against the Machine frontman Zach De La Roca during his rap portions. Quote untitled fits into this typical rock of the darker style. Well, that's fucking metal, you idiot. <laughs> but 5.0 wants to communicate a point Struble so desperately squeals about. They need to focus on his skills as a vocalist and this is the worst and calm down for the love of eardrums everywhere. <laughs> Grade D plus. That's so hold, on, hold on a minute. <laughs> garbage, I, garbage review. I just don't understand. Reviewing any metal album and a point being they need to be more quiet. <laughs> the most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. Consider Considering it's from Illinois as well, are we sure this isn't someone with a grudge against the singer? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's just that's yeah. It's, it sounds like it was written like by um, one of their parents. Yeah, <laughs> they just need to calm down. I'm at least I'm at least um, surprised that it. You know, they clearly know the band because yeah, yeah. I think there was I like you, Aaron. I um. <laughs> I think I just saw reviews on Amazon and they, you know, they were all great. I think there was one that was just, it basically just said like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like that was it. And it's like, I mean, I'm not, you know, who's going to listen to that as a review? Yeah. So the, whether you're right or not. Yeah. And then we, we've, we've chimed in with these guys before. Uh, Sputnik music. Sput yeah. Sputnik music says, on the contrary, from uh, Vedette Online, whoever the, whatever. 5.0 are, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most badly ignored bands around. They don't have much of a history. Untitled is their debut, and the band wasn't formed long before making it. But they brought out a fantastic album, which got acclaim from a whole load of critics, but never seemed to gain any popularity. In my eyes, they really deserve to. Hopefully then, this should be a decent introduction to 5.0, a band who at first seems a little different from others, but if you persist and are willing to have a try, 
a little for your taste of music will reveal all sorts of unexpected treats. Grade four, four and a half out of five stars. That's, that's more accurate. Um, I'll, I'll give you, um, and then the, the segue, I'll give you a segue into um, the user reviews because that's just, that's where, I mean, whatever. We've got to get personal, everyone's got personal taste. But David from metal.de, which is, I guess, Deutschland, Germany, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, said in a piece, quote, sometimes it sounds like Rage Against the Machine, drift into Slipknot, climbs into death metal regions the next moment, while the whole thing is spiced with a pinch of faith no more. That is the perfect description of this band. And I'll just, again, getting personal, as an artist myself, we're all artists and creative. We all borrow from somewhere. I don't know why you would denounce somebody borrowing again. Why would you denounce borrowing from a monolithic band like Rage Against the Machine or Faith No More? Whether they consciously did it or subconsciously did it, it works. Um, A few Amazon reviews. Don't pay attention, and they're all positive. I'm gonna give you the positive. Amazon was resoundingly positive. Don't pay much attention to the small number of reviews written on the CD by this unique band that happens time to time. A great, great music gets slightly unappreciated and less known than it really deserves. It's only a question of time um, before people see the light. 5.0, another one. 5.0 indeed had potential and talent within its rap metal genre, which we can argue if it's really that. But it had... Yeah. Had it more focus been put on the keys that they allowed themselves a bit more melodic sense, the band may have succeeded and offered something with an industrial twist. Sadly, there exists little chemistry, possibly due to lack of real collabor- collaboration and ego clashing. Again, I don't know if there's a lot that warrants that. But then, um, you know, there's, it's really interesting. Some people take, see the positive in like wildly different influences. Right. And some people see it as, you know, something not meshing. And that, that, that review there sounds like he's interpreted the, the fact that there's so many different styles of music within this album as ego clashing. Yeah. And other people interpret it as like, uh, you know, an amazing sort of journey through different styles of music. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's what, that's a true, true artistry means to me is, is, is taking risks and, and, breaking molds and if that means borrowing from other places which every artist does that's all the more power to you so the the last one which really resonates with me um quote what irritates me is the fact that they split when they had an amazing thing going for them with their debut album heartfelt lyrics coupled with blistering riffs and a unique body of work 5.0 5.0 delivers heavily on all fronts. And with that said, I guess, you know, we'll get to the, the final reviews. But if anything, uh, I, think, I think Dom really nailed the selection because it's really the epitome of what this podcast is about. Uh, whether, whether it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a band that's under the radar. It's a band that uh, was, was, slept on it's a band that's that was breaking molds and it's it's just a fantastic album that a lot of people 
well, actually most people, including myself, had never heard of. And so yeah. uh, with that said, it's, you know, divisive or not, people uh, need to hear this album. I think the main, um, the, the thing is, like you said before, you can hear, you know, you can hear influences in everybody's music, you know, taking something from this, that's perfectly normal, it's natural. Um, I actually think like, I mean, I, like I said before, we mentioned Rage Against the Machine or Faith No More purely for the discussion, but, you know, like we said before, they didn't sound like anybody, so that might have hindered them you know might have hindered them for like marketing them over here or over there i i think to go as far i mean i don't want to like you know shit on other people's reviews but sometimes when they say things that's like a bit too obvious yeah like like using a band like slipknot is like come on if you really know metal or rock there is there's no slipknot in this album whatsoever no and i get the like he he sounds like um Back. he's the, he's the easiest yeah. to kind of say yeah. instrumentally i can't really think of anyone they don't sound like rage against the machine no. he sat in some of the in some of the more like rapping kind of parts then that's he's the obvious like he's the epitome of that kind of vocal style. Um, but um, I mean, I think instrumentally, the, I th actually think the overall band, and again, it's, it's for the value of having someone to compare them to. It's not that strong, right? but it, for me, it's faith no more. Like instrumentally, um, it's, either freedom or art of cope mm. it's quite like a you know like a wacky uh riff and <laughs> rhythm yeah like a faith no more and he obviously has i think it's um it's freedom it's definitely freedom i think um he has that vocal line where i know that one review you read but like mate that is his style with those vocal lines that are like the cadence doing loads of trills and yeah. like that's the Mike Patton thing. Yeah, the cadence on that song is fantastic. That's my notes. Yeah. They don't have I mean they have singing all over the album. It's not just the formula of like screaming verse, singing chorus, which I love. Um but they also it's not it's not massively American. Like they're not radio friendly metalcore new metal choruses it's different like we said mike Patton kind of style um and i mean like you said there is an element that's before its time because you know it could have got lumped in with uh um oh you know that riff uh, is a little bit like corn you know new metal or always oh, rapping in a fast section and um, Radiant's machine. It's it's so. how it's how people review things, though, isn't it? You've always got to try and find something to compare it to to kind of justify it in your mind. And unfortunately, that does lead to really lazy comparisons. Like a lot of the time, 
if you have more of a sort of more of a maybe a mainstream metal band the the easy comparison is what do they sound like compared to metallica you know it's like right. oh it's they try to be metallica it's like that's that's a that's a slipknot comparison because you're right dom like i, I can't hear a single thing in this album that that makes me think of slipknot whatsoever and I, I think a lot of the influences that we've we've all spoke about already, Faith No More, Rage Against the Machine, they relate only like there are parts, but they predominantly relate to just the way that the guy sings. Yeah. And and, and like the I, I actually think that um we'll we'll get more into the the analysis, our own personal analysis of the album. The the musicianmanship is good, it's all in service of the overall melody and the overall song. But it's quite in it's it's a fairly um generic sound to the guitars and and the rest of the musicianship. I think that the the major influences only come through really in the guy's vocal delivery. Yes. Yeah. I think um you know, obviously it's by no means like reinventing the wheel or reinventing metal or whatever, like, I know what you're saying about, you know, I think generic can sound bad, but, um, you know, they're not like a heavy, they're not a riffs band. Right, no, I agree. Um, But there are some good moments. And like, actually the instrumental's really good. They're not like, it's not massively progressive or anything. I completely agree that I think the singer, you know, he makes the whole thing. Yeah. Because, um, and I think he's probably the Marmite kind of thing that I think he's the reason that the album's that good. But I think to your average metalhead, they're confused. You know, they're kind of, oh, one minute you're going from screaming to this, you know, they don't like that. They want, you know, they want, straightforward heavy so i think that's um and that's an element but like i love i it's one of the best like so many different influences going on metal albums i've heard something something i gotta throw in there guys that i don't know if forgive me if you saw this but i gotta i gotta put it out there in the ether the through my research and I think it was on Amazon or one of these individual reviews versus like an actual official website. Someone mentioned both seeing them in concert and just someone had an inside view. The guitarist, there's a good, the good, the guitarist of the band apparently uh, had 10 years on the rest of the band, 10 years older. And so I can't help but think, because they mentioned that the, the, the lead vocalist did the, the rapping Zach De La Roca vocals. And then he also did the clean Mike Patton style vocals. But when you got into the more guttural, death metal, uh, screaming vocals, that was coming from the older gentleman in the band that was 10 years older. And if anything, that's the fucking brilliance of it. If you've got old and new, you know, young and old, whatever, and obviously a decade's long enough to uh, bring different influences to the table, 
that's yeah. that's why you get what you get and that's probably why it's as divisive as it is but that's again going back to the the point of this podcast that that this band epitomizes in my opinion what this podcast is about so i'm really i'm really thankful for for you sharing this band because it's for sure all of those reasons are why it makes this album such an interesting one to talk about yeah and and i think just one final point on the reviews it's testament to the cult-like status i think this album probably has that we've only really been able to find two two and a half you mentioned aaron like official reviews and actually the majority of the reviews come from fans oh it's not even cult it's not even cult status it's so obscure i don't think it's even cult status yeah that's true. and they were signed and they were signed to roadrunner for christ's sake i yeah. mean it should be profound it should be profound it should be cult status at this point but i think that's again going back to the the, the reason we're doing this is that hopefully uh more people are exposed to it and uh, at the risk of sounding selfish, uh, maybe some members of the band will hear this, you know? Who knows? Yeah, well, I think the, the majority of, like, Roadrunner collectors or definitely back in the day, like myself, will remember the album or know about it. But it's, um, I mean, the main reason I chose it is I can't, I can't think of... Um, I can't think of another band that I have that only have one album. Yeah. <laughs> and the one album is that good. It obviously helps helps the element of it being so underrated because yeah. there's only one. I mean, you make a good point. Uh, and I, it's something I hadn't considered that the fact that they only made you only made one kind of makes you think. I'd kind of love to see where this band went next. There's been countless other bands with far less talent that have gone on to have long careers. Oh Lord, <laughs> and, that's a fact. And, and, and the fact the fact that these guys only made the one album kind of makes it like it adds that kind of mystery and the specialness to, yeah. to to the album itself. True. There's there's a lot of um, the thing is as well. There's I mean, whether that's saying that it's before it's time or not, there's obviously, like most genres that kind of have a bit of a resurgence, like this, the sound of this band and this album, there's a lot of bands kind of doing that now. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. Like new metal guitars and that kind of rhythms are now like cool again. So you know, you add in all the kind of more original vocals that this band had, like there's a easy argument to suggest that way before their time, if they were around now, they'd be um, a lot bigger. We need to start some kind of petition to get them to reform now. Oh, that's a good idea. Conversation. <laughs> well, by, by Aaron's research, the guitarist's probably about a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's let's move it along, um, and I'll quickly share my screen with you guys because I think it's about time we talk about the artwork. And Aaron, I'm going to come to you first on this one. 
What's uh, top of your head? What are we thinking? Uh, the the font choice is uh, about as vanilla as you could get. And I get it. When you don't have a, a an album title name, you just you don't you don't have to put on the cover that it's untitled. Yet they type yeah. they literally typed out the word untitled. That's doing a massive disservice to the design. Then you get to the visuals. It's also very poignant for the times. The whole like we're gonna we just learned Photoshop and we're going to overlay all these textures and handwritten stuff. And you can't tell yeah. what the hell it says, but um, visually it's just, it's like, it's like watching paint dry. It's just not, they got like a solarized effect on, I guess it's the mannequin head. I don't, I don't know, but uh, this definitely, um, it's not even worth talking about. <laughs> I'm going to go down a limb. I'm going to, you know, if we're going to score this at a 10, this gets like a two. Oh, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up on a couple of things you said there. It's definitely, they've opened up the, the metal album front cover toolkit and they've got, let's get some textures in there. Let's overlay the lyrics. Let's put like some kind of mock uh, Kodak photograph frame on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good eye, good eye, yeah. There's some weird effects to the um, to the photograph in there, but you you mentioned like it. I think it's just something inherently lazy about calling something untitled, and I don't know whether it's like whether it's uh, artistically something that like conceptually they were thinking of something. Yeah, about, you're right. You never know because. Like you touched on the mannequin heads, and the only thing I could think of is like there's like a sense of anonymity or like mm. generic. Unfortunately, if they were going for like a statement piece on, I don't know, let's pluck something out of like lack of identity or whatever, all they've done is essentially created the most generic looking yeah. album cover. Yeah. And co- it's, it's almost like, and this is a bit of an inside design kind of thing, right? But imagine you went on to, to Shutterstock or something, and you were trying to get like an album cover mock-up, they would have <laughs> yeah. they would have something like this. It's untitled. That's where you put the like the title you want in there, and it just yeah. everything about it is just so this this looks like a com- this looks like something a computer algorithm would put together. Yeah. The th- the thing is, I don't I I mean, I almost don't blame them for it because <laughs> I I think it just. I mean, whether this is the case or not, I mean, I say I don't blame them for it because I don't think, um, basically, I think the whole thing smacks of, um, you know, being really rushed. You know, we talked about how little, um, what's what's the word? You know, the short career span they had Oh, I believe it. I believe it. That probably could have, yeah. I think they, they, like, as much as we talked about the look as well of the band, which doesn't bother me at all, that they didn't have a thought-out gimmick or anything, that's fine. But I think the actual artwork and that is, is too far. They, they mustn't have had any prep on it 
any budget. Yeah, the um, I mean, without a doubt, yeah, the the artwork is terrible, but I can't imagine for the life of me that it's you know, it's that way on purpose. I just think they probably they kind of got signed to Roadrunner, put the album out straight away, whatever. Yeah, let's go out. Let's let's go out on a limb. I'm gonna guess an intern in New York because I think Roadrunner was based out of New York City. I bet an intern. It, 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 it wrote on it was like given the assignment to fucking shit out a fucking album cover for this for this band and they're like what's the album called and they said it's untitled so he literally typed out the word untitled <laughs> the thing about the thing about that though that i'm un, i'm unsure on is there's a title track so it is intentional that it's called Untitled. It's one thing for a song, but for to put that on an album cover is horseshit. Sorry. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. You can, you, can, you can say Untitled for a song because the music speaks for itself, but to put it on the front of your album? No. It's very similar to calling, like actually having the word self-titled. <laughs> <laughs> that would be on, better. On the album. So I completely get that. The, um, the, the other side of it is obviously like we said about the, the music, you know, when you're making an album cover, obviously sometimes it's great, like I did when I was a kid and you guys probably did, to be able to just see a cover without hearing a piece of music and knowing that you like it. Right, yeah. Sometimes that's great to be that obvious. But I mean, their music, like we said before, is not, straightforward metal yeah but this cover is obviously very hard to get any idea what the music what the band might sound like disjointed yeah very disjointed which could, yeah which yeah which could be a good thing yeah but this album covers too far i just think that <laughs> it's it's not meant to be I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel like they made that whoa that's right. class. Yeah. No. I think they just kind of let's just put it out you know the music speaks for itself but they could have this is not helping the band have more of an identity you, you make a really good point there and i think we kind of touched on it very early on the way that the band is presented through um the name the cover art the fact that they called their album untitled it's just so underwhelming and it's not indicative of anything that you hear once you put the album on so you know as far as first impressions go and you know we, we we're taught to not judge a book by its cover but if you saw this in a record store and back in the day because obviously we don't shop like that anymore pass there'd be, there'd be nothing pass. that would make you want to pick this <laughs> yeah. up yeah, exactly yeah the thing Next. is i i think i think <laughs> Aaron's point is probably spot on. The fact that, especially that it's Roadrunner, they will easily have their main priorities, their bands that get a lot of money put on, a lot of time and a lot of staff put on working on that band. These were probably a guy, these were probably a band that, you know, the album cover is possibly Roadrunner, um, so I think that lack of preparation and that lack of um, attention that, and especially promoting this band 
I know they obviously broke up not long afterwards, but I think the artwork, the exposure, the band, the kind of promotion was probably a lot of, to do with Roadrunner and the fact that they were probably so far down the, the pecking order at that label didn't yeah. help them. Good point. All right, Don, well, give us a mark out of 10 for this. Aaron's already put on. Aaron, are you sticking by your two out of 10? Oh, I'll, I'll, for the artwork? Yeah. Two, yeah. Out of t- okay. I'm going to say like two and a half, three. That's my verdict. All right. I was going to say two out of 10 for the actual <laughs> al- album after all of that would be quite funny. For the artwork? Just the artwork? Just for the artwork. Um, I'd probably agree with Aaron a two because it's not, it's not good, but it's not like, I don't know. It's not laughable. I've seen worse. Yeah. Yeah, we have. Yeah. I would agree. I, I'm going to I'm gonna be a little bit more generous than you guys. I'm going to give it a four. It's not quite a five. It is so middle of the road. There's nothing to it. Um, but to your it's point, It's going to be Dom, a three then, Julie. Yeah, it's really a three, dude. Come on. You're, you're, you're I mean, being too generous, Niall. <laughs> a, a four surely suggests that it's just one step away from being the best there is. Oh, it's out of ten, Dom. We're out of ten. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. I was... Yeah. I, I, think I was thinking five. <laughs> five stars. It's better than the actual musical content. <laughs> I might up mine to a three then at least. I don't know. Yeah, I'll give it a three. At least, at least the intern knew how to use the filters in Photoshop. And then, they, and, then, yeah. and, then they, and then they tried extra hard by adding that stupid Kodak border. I didn't even notice the border. Good shout, yeah. good shout. Like, like, come on. They weren't taking a photo. Fo- That's not a photograph. I mean, like, put it this yeah. way. It's, it's like Dom said, it's not laughable. When we did propane, remember the propane oh, contents of the pressure? Lord. Yeah. Are, are you gay? I think if memory serves correct, we were given that around a three. Yeah. And I'd say that whilst that has kind of like a, a, a kind of comedic charm to it, this is, this is serviceable. It's nothing special. That's why I think serviceable. just four out of ten. <laughs> It'll it'll work, but I think that's you know what Dom was saying. Like they probably, you know, um, they were like, "What options do we have?" And they were like, "Well, we got this untitled one that we did for another band, but they rejected it." And they're like, "It'll do, you know, put it in there." I mean, were they were they were they in concert in New, in Newcastle? They're like, "What's up, Newcastle? Catch our cop our new album 5.0. It's it's called Untitled." <laughs> like, did they did they say that at concerts? Like. Get catch our new album. Pick it up at the at the record store. It's called Untitled. <laughs> well, I I I'd know it. I'd know if I went to the gig. But, um... <laughs> yeah, but my point is, yeah, no one, yeah, no one ever says that. If it's untitled, you just don't you don't put the word untitled on there. That's what is the giveaway for me that a fucking intern yeah. did this. I think, like you said, the. The title name, because I mean, because it's a song name, there's probably more thought to it. But I could be wrong. Yeah, they could have done this on purpose. The the album name and the cover, it's just I think it just seems so rushed. Yeah. Even yeah. though it does have, the more I look at it, it does have, um, and the name, the band name, is quite an early noughties kind of new metal. You could imagine it. Oh, big time. Spelling out, spelling out words and like uh, uh, decimals and stuff <laughs> like that is that is that is very new metal, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Um, 
let's uh, take a, a little break and then we'll get into our reviews. All right, guys. Well, we've kind of already shared a few thoughts about our feelings on the album, but Aaron, I'm going to come over to you uh, first for this. Do you want to give us some top line thoughts on, on how you feel about this album? Yeah, sure. Um, we didn't really get into, uh, I know we usually kick it off with like what the interwebs, Wikipedia, or whoever <clears throat> wants to describe their sound. Uh, obviously, new metal. Hardcore punk, synth core, death metal, whatever. Uh, references to Faith No More, Rage Against the Machine. But at the end of the day, although some of that is true, um, as with any kind of artistry, they're really combining and taking from other places and making it their own. And so this band gets a lot of credit for doing that successfully in my opinion so with all that said at the end of the day it's just it just sounds good uh lots of layers it's diverse there's moments of beauty the uh you know when it comes to metal we've talked about this where although the subject matter or sound can be heavy destructive and and dismal sounding there's elements of beauty uh, no one's really broken it down on that level, but there's a lot of introspective moments. Uh, I think Dom talked about comparing them to uh, to Tool, being very uh, um, experimental, and um, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just introspective, experimental, and uh, metaphysical. Um, there's a lot of talk about religion. Um, looking inward, what our place, what our what our place in the world is. Sorry, what our place is in the universe, uh, both as as humans and uh, and in society. Um, they do a good job of. Um, there's good rhythms. There's good melody. There's heavy guitar. Um, I'll let you touch on the top three songs later, but. There's even, I mean, my favorite song, there's even a point where there's just, it sounds like a jazz piano. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's all over the fucking place. Lyrically, uh, we touched, I touched on that. Very introspective, ex existential, introspective. Uh, obviously the guy's very smart and whether it's literal or abstract, uh, he's putting a lot of thought into his lyrics. Um, and so at the end of the day, they may, have, they may have been a very misunderstood band. Maybe Roadrunner didn't know how to market them. Maybe they were late to the game, uh, like we've touched on. And so uh, they were kind of lost in that ether. But uh, in the end, I just, I just want to just reiterate and double down that that's the whole point of this podcast. This is a band that... Uh, despite one album, it's, it's fantastic. It's one of a kind, it's, it's unique. And it just, again, epitomizes what this podcast is about. And I wish more people uh, were exposed to it. So hopefully they'll turn on to it if they listen to this. Yeah, I'm glad that you touched on the lyrical content, Aaron, because it was something that I wanted to speak about. 
um, you kind of mentioned that it's ambiguous at times. I definitely think that um, the uh, the vocalist writes in a kind of abstract way. You know, we've we've often had discussions about you know when you're comparing styles of lyric writing from being very on the nose, so you know exactly what someone's talking about, to being very abstract. So it kind of sounds cool and mysterious, but you're not quite sure. Yeah. What the song's about, and I, I found myself at times going through this album, following the lyrics and struggling to work out exactly what was being said and why. And I wanted to give you an, an illustration of that. The third track um, is called <laughs> "Art of Cope," and, and by you laughing, I can imagine that you kind of know where I'm going to go here. But yeah. The uh, I'll, I'll touch on overall melodies uh, in a bit because I think it's probably hands down my favorite part of the entire album oh, okay but the chorus the chorus of this uh third track of cope is a fantastic and, and unique melody but the lyrics go like this graphic thought our tears are soaking together shall i lead her into the future another cure our lifeblood our lifeblood combined with caltrate shall- <laughs> it's just caltrate Shall I see her into the beautiful? And I had to look up caltrate. caltrate. Oh, we all did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's calcium. It's, it's, it's a, a bit, yeah. It's a vitamin D supplement. So I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I mean, it sounds, it sounds great, and the way that he sings it is like so memorable. And I, I think throughout the album, the melodies just get stuck in your head for days. What he's singing about, I don't know. Sometimes, you know. Would you go along with some of those thoughts that Aaron was saying Um, about the lyrics? Yeah, I think so. I can't really. um, I'd have to have the lyrics in front of me, but um, yeah, I can't confess to knowing what any of the songs are about. Oh, go down, go, go. That's, that's part of the podcast, dude. Go down the rabbit hole on Genius Lyrics or whatever website you can find. The lyrics are. The main, the, the main one I, I think of um, is the fourth track, Purity 01. Yes. yes. Um, Another good one. I mean, I, I, I actually think, like, especially with the synth, the, the yeah. keys throughout the album. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, I don't know if this makes sense, but it does have a slightly futuristic feel to the album in the same way that like a Fear Factor, Fear Factory um, record has. Um, like yeah. Fear Factory's whole kind of the machines. Yeah. There's a kind of feeling with that, this album. I have no idea what is the overall theme throughout, but there's definitely, I mean, that song in particular, he has that amazing kind of tribal um, intro with the kind of spoken word um, about um, Armageddon. Uh, 
Armageddon, math, science, and biology. I remember those lines. Yeah. I always, I love that. When, when the guitarist comes in with his part, oh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, obviously his vocal style on top of the lyrics encompass that kind of new metal element, but it's just when it's done right, like it is on this album. And I don't know if you guys, I mean, I'll, I will um, be impressed if you've actually heard it, but the, uh, the last song, Aspire Inspire. I think I probably went years once I bought this album, having never actually heard that because the intro is um, like ridiculously long. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think for years I'd never actually heard when the song breaks and like the melody, his his falsetto vocal yeah. style. It's yeah. so beautiful. Like actually thinking about the album, what probably, I don't know, like we said, maybe didn't appeal to your average metalhead, which is where it was maybe marketed through Roadrunner. The album's actually like, it's instrumentally, yeah, it's heavy, but it's never it's never like, you know, evil or any of those. Maybe there's a bit of a dark tone, but the album is like so melodic. Even mm -hmm. when there's like a heavy riff, it's still melodic. Um, that's like, I mean, going up. So I know we talked about before about it's mainly the vocals with the melodies, but instrumentally, I do think... Um, they they make some really beautiful kind of melodies. I'm trying to think of the track. I think it's um, either Syndrome Down or Breath Machine, mm -hmm. where it really kind of breaks down to an instrumental and kind of stops, and then it kicks in, and the screaming guy, they, between him and the singer, they do this kind of him and then the singer, then him back and forth. And mm -hmm. the the kind of melody, very kind of like a Fear Factory, um, yeah. more, more of the softer Fear Factory. Um, and I know like the main one is Mike Patton that I can compare him to, but I mean, Burton C. Bell from Fear Factory, when he sung, it was in that kind of almost operatic. Um, yeah style so it's hard to like i couldn't say i listened to the album and think of fear factory but there's another band there's some some elements um there yeah i mean i'd go as far i'd go as far to echo some some of what i hear what i think you hear saying is um that that track purity 01 i have it marked as one of my top three tracks the lyrical content jesus raw the middle east religion versus science um and then jumping to the last song, Aspire and Fire, uh, he says, it's only four lines. Aspire, inspire, if not you, when who? If not now, then when?
Fast forward to Gojira with that Middle Eastern riff. Silvera. Like, that's some Middle Eastern sounding shit, but it's heavy as fuck. And they're quoting Gandhi. Like, that's, that's, that's exactly what they're doing in this album in a different form. I'm glad that you guys both picked up on that because I think Purity 01 is, it's definitely one of my top tracks. I think it's easily one of the most interesting and, yeah. hev- and heaviest songs on the album as well. And I've always, always enjoyed metal that has like a Middle Eastern flair to it. So oh, the, yeah. way, the way that that starts... Dom, I don't know whether you would agree with this because they were like a band that was never well known at all. But the start of the his intro kind of reminded me a little bit of a Boy Hits Car kind of vibe. Boy Hits Car meets Rage Against the Machine. Like the way that... I thought you were going to say uh, Breed 77. A, a little bit. Another, yeah. A little bit. Um, but I just... You, you, t- you touched on the lyrical content within this one, Aaron. And I was trying to work this one out as well because it seems to be a story of um, like a reckoning, like an Armageddon's come in and those that have made the right choices are going to be fine. And and like the chorus is wretched fall, wretched fall. Um, But there's a, there's a line in the, there's there's lines in the second and third uh, towards the end of the song. Eternal life will be released from its vial where it lies somewhere in the Middle East. It sounds <laughs> it it sounds like the plot of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, don't you think? It's like he's searching for the Holy Grail. Well, a, well listen, I'm a fan of history. I'm a fan of social science and monotheisms and religion. And the guy sounds pretty pretty smart from a intellectual point of view. And at the end of the day, we all know the cradle of civilization, Mesopotamia, is where all of these things began. And so he's just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really make sense of it all, but he's obviously touching. He's, he's, he's making some pretty profound touch points about the yeah. Middle East, religion, monotheisms, and, uh, you know. Yeah. I, think like you, I think, like you said, whether it's all, um, whether it's, easily like coherent or anything it's yeah the the key points i mean the key lyrics you can pick out nobody nobody in that genre or whatever that i can think of i know it sounds funny but is even mentioning the middle east right in a, in a lyric or whatever like fair enough it's yeah. a very metal thing to talk about um impending doom i think he says or like stuff like that but that that whole song, especially what he talks about, it's not a very typical, yeah. um, brain dead new metal kind right. of thing. It's intelligent, or at least sounding, yeah. and that's yeah. the whole album is quite an intelligent, like I said earlier, thinking man's metal, yeah. all all the way to the lyrics. <laughs> I 
was I was going to say exactly the same thing. It's lyrical content and songwriting that you wouldn't expect from a band. It, just just to put this into context, when you go on their Spotify page and you look at the the fans also like section, so other bands that are associated with them, you get American Head Charge, Down the Sun, Slaves on Dope, Switched, Ultra Spank, Spine Shank. The type of bands that these guys are categorized with were all of these, you know, American Head Charge aside, a lot of kind of generic new metal kind of bands with very limited exposure. And I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big, uh, I don't know much about those bands, but I, I would hazard a guess that a lot of them weren't doing the same kind of, you mentioned it, Dom, like more intelligent songwriting and lyrical content. You just don't expect it from a band that's categorized with those bands. Yeah. You guys know what a, I mean? That's again, probably why they were, you know, overlooked. Um, and whether they are the, they are their, um, whether they are bands within their genre or not. I mean, there's so little on this band around that they're basically just bands that were around at the same time, you know, where rather than kind of for fans of, they might, they, they're more likely just who else, because there's so little about this band, there's not necessarily so much been looked into, um, their influences or for fans of this band, they're, they're, they're all kind of, you know, probably what they were pigeonholed in, but, um, you know, obviously not, didn't do them justice. So while we're talking about lyrical content as well, what do you guys think Shaka Kapow means? The elephant in the room. <laughs> oh shit, dude. Yeah. Well, I I mean <laughs> I got it written down as Chaka Kablau. Oh uh, I got sh- I got Shaka oh, Kapow. It's Listen. definitely a Kapow. <laughs> it's definitely a Kapow. <laughs> I I Dom, I thought it was ex Newcastle United goalkeeper Shaka Hislop just <laughs> doing a doing a karate kick. I mean, the thing about it is I love the fact that that is like 10 seconds into the album. Yep. Yep. The thing about, I mean, that, you know, <laughs> when he, when he does that, and I think there's another similar kind of part in the album at one stage. No, there is. No, it's, it's a one-off. It's fucking bizarre. It's, it's no, a one-off, this... it's a one-off, but like he does it once and you're like, yeah, like okay. And then he does, it a sec- gonna... he does it a but... second time. No, no, no. Listen, you, I'll never forget. Niall sent me two, the two, maybe three bands that Dom was suggesting. And I think I checked out the first one and then I got to this band. And when I heard, when I heard it on my, my wireless Bluetooth speaker and I heard Chaka Kablau, I came this fucking close to just turning it off and saying, <laughs> absolutely not. But, but thank God I went the distance because. Uh, that's the oh, that is the besides the album art that's the worst part sonically. I've got to, I've got to agree with you there. Sorry to jump in there, Dom. I was just going to say I think that from the name 
to the album cover, to the way the album starts, there are a lot of things that make it like make you question what you're about to do. But if you persevere past that, then you know what I mean? Because they released that double X minus as a single as well. And I can remember at the time when that came out, not being all that keen. I don't, I mean, I think there's far more standout songs on the album than that one. And maybe it was just the way that these yeah. guys were presented to us yeah. initially wasn't what what you wanted or, or what we needed really to understand the band. And I love a good paradox. The older I get, you know, I relish, I relish in paradox. Most people don't like paradox, but it's just, that's just life. And this album has a bit of paradox, whether, whether it's the album art, album name and the chuck a kablow <laughs> you gotta get past it just get past it we'll be all right yeah the the thing is I, I i completely agree i think that i mean that is the most obvious sign to and especially like i said before it being 10 seconds in the album that's the most immediate probably as soon as you heard that it got pigeonholed it's new metal yeah because that's an an obvious new metal kind of characteristic you know jonathan davies doing the weird scatting thing um but i mean like and, i said the yeah. david the david draymond yeah massively um you could I, I, it's, a fine, it's a fine line it's a very fine line it's totally not necessary. That can be agreed that he, it doesn't need to be in there. But I actually think, um, I mean, not that this is a good thing, but just to compare, it's, it's a very um, uh, Brandon Boyd, early Incubus, did, did a very similar thing. Um, I can't remember the name of the song. I think it's off science. Um, which was even earlier than this. So I think I Brandon Boyd mean. did it. And Mike Patton absolutely did some wacky, crazy vocal things. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit uh, unnecessary. Possibly. It, it seems when you like listen to the whole album and you come back to that first utterance, you, you, you kind of wonder why. Because yeah, like, like we just said before, it starts to paint the picture that this album is going to be straight up new metal and it's not. And you just kind of wonder like fair play, you know, you want to like it, it I don't think it hurts the album. I'd, I'd certainly not taken any marks off it because of that, but you just, it, it's when you listen to the whole album, you come back to it. It just seems so weird. Like there's not really another moment in the, there's a few, he, he does have some kind of, I think uh, there's a track towards the end of the album, Breath Machine. Is it called Breath Machine? I think you, you mentioned that one already, Dom. And he, he has more, um, he kind of raps a little bit on the, court, on the verse of that, which is a little bit more new metally. But for the large part, lyrically, it does kind of veer off like quite far from a lot of traditional new metal. So... Let's let's move it along and let's um, Dom. Why don't you give us give us your top one or two tracks on the album and why? This is, I mean, this is a really hard one. The one that I think is uh, a certain for me. I mean, we're probably all gonna um, 
I mean, not disagree, but we'll probably all have different ones. A, a certain for me, I think, is um, the second track, King of the Hill. Mm. Um, I think it's this one. This one and um, either, I mean, no, hold on. This one for me, I think this is the best chorus on the, the whole album. Mm-hmm. The chorus is like actually one of the best choruses I think I've ever heard. Like the, the, the best one of, if not the best moment on the whole album, because this chorus, the um, throughout the song, it's quite like a, a free, um, uh, what's the word? The, the song goes through a lot of different um, sections tempo changes, different time signatures. Um, But at the very end, they go back to the last chorus and there's, there's there's like a, the intro riff underneath it and it's straightforward. And it's like the, the ultimate payoff. And it kicks into a riff and like that for me is probably my favorite song because it's just, you know, that probably should have been the first track on the album. The, the chorus yeah. is yeah. Um, the best. Then I'm going to jump in there before you move on, Dom, because I had exactly, almost exactly the same notes as you. Like that track for me, it encapsulates everything the band do well. Like it's probably one of the tracks on the album that has the most catchy riffs. Like, because I think, a lot of the guitar work is done more in service of the overall melody and songwriting, whereas this one has a bit more, King of the Hill has a bit more of the, the sort of riff element. And, and like you said, right at the end, when the, when the intro riff comes in, like underneath the melody, I was like, that's just, it just felt like a really nice, perfect yeah. way to, and, and like, like you said, those melodies, the, the chorus, it's certainly one of those that just sticks in your head for, for days. So it, I don't know what it's about. It's certainly probably not about the cartoon of the same name, but um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a real, real good tune and definitely one of the best on the album. And your second, you, you said you had a second track? Um, I mean, I mean, I could pick a few. I could that I mean, that's the obvious one. I, I know that would always be in there. I think um, the, I mean, I have maybe, I have a definite top four, which I think would be King of the Hill. I think actually Untitled is one of my favorite because it's the he- heaviest track on the album. Yes, like, it is. Yes. Um, that's what I talked about earlier about, yeah, there's new metal in it, but there's also just like heavy, aggressive that song's really punky, really, mm-hmm. um, like it's fast. The chorus is insane. Like for a metal chorus, like it's got that, um, like off the top of my head, thinking about it, I think like you said, Niall, it has that kind of Middle Eastern um, melody. And I think it's a bit of a shorter song. It's just like 
yeah no no nonsense um and it comes right after the more ballad the slower ballad uh yeah the other one yeah that, uh, that's a bit filler that one for me the, the ballady one but um dom on on untitled it's i think we should talk for a second about yes these melodies are catchy but also i find them to be like really quite unique like i the, the way and I, I i was singing along to one today and they um the just the way that he draws it out you know he he holds his notes for so long and they kind of go over parts of the music it just doesn't flow the same way that you'd expect someone to sing over the song i just find it to be so unique and you if you try and sing along to this like you're out of breath because he's just holding the notes and holding the melodies for so long and i just i find it to be a really compelling part of this album I mean, like I've said a lot, it's it's a very Mike Patton kind of um, theatrical kind of operatic style of um, singing, which is is quite unique. Um, and then I, I think my, if we're going to say three, my third favourite is um, The Infinity, because one of the softest tracks on the album, but um the vocal melody the kind of and it's got that constant double bass it's so ambient atmospheric like we kind of said with the the synths quite futuristic um you know for me probably if we're gonna i could say i you know i could say there's not a bad track on the album but those three tracks have you know all of the crossover the the um different uh elements to the album those three tracks have it all like the heaviest track one of the softest yeah you know that's um a good mix that's a good call and you know as as the what i noticed was as the album starts to reach its conclusion is when the musicianmanship maybe steps out a little bit from being just kind of in service of the overall song and they start to flex a little bit of muscle with the infinity and aspire inspire it gets a little bit more ambitious i think and a bit more experimental so i certainly appreciate those last two tracks as well aaron what you got uh i'm aligned with uh <clears throat> it's really for me it can't be top three it has to be the top four mine is uh working backwards i like freedom because uh again they're kind of they're not the first band to do this the song is called freedom with a question mark but then the and i don't know if this was intentional but when you read the lyrics online it's spelled freedom d-u-m-b freedom yeah. and uh it's probably that song has probably the most profound uh content lyrically and the cadence on freedom is great I really liked um, King of the Hill as well. Um, Purity, 
ramps it up with the Jesus, talking about Jesus, Ra, the Middle East, religion and science, and it gets, you know, pretty interesting. And then the hands down the infinity. And that's why it was, uh, we haven't touched on this, but going back to your original point, apparently it was featured on a, on a movie soundtrack. Resident Evil. Yeah. And the infinity, my notes, it's, it is the best synth synth on this album. The synth is, is amazing. There's a, a wailing guitar sound. And almost immediately, it just breaks into like a clean piano, like a jazzy piano sound. And there's absolutely nothing like this in the universe. This song is fucking, it's, it's, yeah. it's, in, it's, it's, it's synthy. It's, it's synth, heavy guitar, piano, and jazz. And I mean, the lyrics, uh, birth, work, breathe, nurture, cry, acknowledge existence, discover, die look into my life and bleed for me. I mean, it's, the, the infinity is their opus on this one album. Yeah. like you know another um another uh style of of music in there that song you know with the piano and the big empty spaces are very kind of prog prog rock kind of on that song in particular so i've got we've already we've already got uh, talked about the ones that i've got king of the hill and purity i think are my two favorite tracks but I think the the melodies on Art of Cope for the chorus and for Untitled, again, just two really unique melodies. And honestly, after this podcast, just try and sing the chorus to Untitled without taking a <laughs> without taking a breath, because it just the way I, do, I I find it to be just so catchy, and that's why it sticks in your head because it is different. To a lot of things that you've heard let's wrap it up um because we've been going for some time so dom i'll come to you first final thoughts and your rating out of 10. um well it's just it's a great great album and like i said before it, it's it's the number one like um most underrated album you know um 20 years later that i've i've listened to solidly um and yeah like you know all the things you mentioned with uh, the melodies and and it's such a melodic and, and beautiful album like um yeah i mean it would be amazing to know what a second album would have been like um yeah i agree but maybe you know it makes this one even more special yeah um uh to give it i don't know to give it a rating 
quite hard. Um, I'd maybe give it. Um, is is it out of ten? Out of ten, yeah. Out of five. Um, no, ten. I would maybe give it. Uh, I'll say eight. Aaron, eight, eight, easy. Yeah. I'm on board. Eight all around. I think it's just if I had to sort of give it like a final analysis, it would be it's just a really enjoyable listen. There's a, there's so much in there. Like if you're if you're somebody who's inclined to to like a bit of experimentation in music and go along with like the sort of twists and turns then there's, there's something in it for everybody. And I think it's just really fun, very catchy, very memorable. And um, to your point, Dom, like it would have been great to see what they would have done next, but it does kind of give this an aura like that's quite unique, doesn't it? So normally we would sort of follow this up with, uh, you know, essentially what they did next and and like whether you know we normally say like what what impact did this album have on set lists but we're not going to do that for obvious reasons i just thought i would uh let you guys know what their popular tracks are on spotify in um in 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 descending order you got a number one double x minus which was obviously the single and the first track on the album probably why it's the most popular the second is the Infinity, which both of you guys picked up on. King of the Hill coming in at three. Oh, nice! And then Purity and Freedom to round out the top five. So oh, double, wow. X, double X minus aside, I think we were pretty much on to what people would think to be the the top tracks. Mm. I think um, just thinking about it now, I actually think the untitled track might have been on. I think it was on a. Um, a free Kerrang CD with a magazine or something. Uh, probably. So I'm not sure if I heard that song before the album, but yeah. May well have done. All right, guys. Well, that was a really good one to talk through. Thank you both for, for joining me. Um, if you guys listening like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our email address is metalrecallpodcast at gmail.com should you want to reach out. And you can find um, the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow. All right, Dom, thanks for joining us for the first time. Hopefully you'll be back. And Aaron, thanks for joining me again. Yeah, of course. Good seeing you, Dom. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep. Thanks, good. guys. Yep. See good you later. choice. All right. Cheers.